Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among rulers of Judah. For for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come to worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going to the house where they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Good morning, beautiful people. Everybody doing all right this morning? Thank you, man. Are you excited about today? Are you? You have your Bibles with you? Turn them to Daniel. You do. Like, I have my app. Uh, Does that count? Turn your, take your app. Go to Daniel. Well, uh, we are uh, in the middle of a series called Stealing Christmas. And if you weren't with us last week, Basically, uh, I was uh, watching some advertisement uh, during a Kentucky basketball game, and I saw this Thanksgiving, and I was like, man, it's, man, I, I mean, I get it, but that's not really what Thanksgiving is about. And I started to think about how we celebrate Christmas, and so I decided to scrap in the middle of November what we were going to do this month, and uh, we decided to talk about stealing Christmas and the idea of taking back Christmas and the Christmas story, what it really was meant for and, and how we can celebrate it and some of the things that we can do to celebrate Christmas. And so... Uh, I'm going to pray, and we're going to unpack the Word of God together, and uh, I hope that you learn something new today, um, and I hope that it challenges, challenges you to, uh, to live out your faith in a fresh way. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We do rejoice. We rejoice that, um, that God is with us and how beautiful that is. And uh, Father, we, uh, we just want to embrace that. We thank you that you sent your Son and that um, he willingly laid down his life uh, for us. And so that when you see us, you don't see us for our mistakes and our failures, our shortcomings, but you see us covered in the precious blood of your son, Jesus, and you see us as righteous. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We worship you for that. We pray that today that uh, the words that are spoken would fall on good ground. Father, I pray that uh, the, the people would have a revelation today of uh, what you want uh, from them. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Christians are weird. 
we read that story that Roger read to us and we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm sitting, right? Matter of fact, we're so committed to this story that we put the manger scene in our front yard and then we get offended when they take it down from like a federal building. And the manger scene that you have in your front yard, please keep it up, isn't right. And so what I want us to do today is just go ahead and say, hey, we're weird. And when we read this story and we're like, oh, yeah, that's the Christmas story. We're like, well, of course, some dude showed up and gave Jesus gifts. Yeah, I heard about it every year. Instead of reading that story in those 12 verses and allowing there to be tension and like, okay, well, why did that happen? I mean, really, we don't do that. We're just like, yeah, of course, I've heard the story before, haven't you? There, uh, I want to be transparent. And so when I'm reading this portion of scripture, because we're going to work our way through Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, and we already did Matthew 1, we did uh, verses 18 to 25 last week. And if you remember, verses 1 through 17 is a bunch of people who begot people, right, to get us to Jesus. And we've seen that they were messed up and dysfunctional, and yet God chose to use them to be a sovereign part of his plan, warts and all. But just because this, this story is so familiar to us should not give us liberty to read it without saying, huh? So basically, if I was told the story, maybe you were the same, three dudes on camels, right? Because they had to ride camels, um, show up and they're like, there's a king that's been born and we're here to see him. We're at the castle. Where's he at? Where did these guys come from? Seriously. And, and then they're like, hey, it was a star. Oh, okay, that makes it better. The star led you here. We're glad you're here. Come on in. Right? We read this story of Christmas and we're like, oh, yeah. Um, so they show up at a castle. They ask for him. He's not there. Seems not to bother them. They're going to keep about their merry way until they can find him. Herod, this dude freaks out. Also, why would he do that? Kind of weird. Uh, starts killing babies. Not a big deal, right? I mean, what is going on in this story? And then when they do find him, they worship him, they give him gifts, and they peace out. And then we're like, yes, Merry Christmas. We are weird. Something becomes so familiar to us that we don't allow tension to exist in the story. And we don't say, okay, God, that's doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but Merry Christmas. And so I want us to look today. I want you to be a little bit uncomfortable. I am not here to damage your childhood. <laughs> I am not here to um, discredit a tradition that you have. That's not my goal. My goal is to inspire you to steal Christmas. And we're going to answer three questions. Everybody say three questions. Three we're going to answer who are the Magi or the wise men. We're going to ask, how did they worship? And then we're going to ask, what were the treasures or what, what were the gifts that they gave Jesus? And why does that, why even put it in there? Once again, the Bible puts stuff in scripture and you're like, yeah, I know I read it because I'm supposed to read it, but this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. There is um, the scripture in verse 2, or chapter 2, excuse me, verse 1. It says that wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. They just show up. 
there's really not a Jewish monarchy. And they're asking, where is the king of the Jews? And actually, quite the opposite is happening in Jerusalem at the time. It's ruled under the iron fist of Rome, much like a dictatorship. And uh, there's uh, a leader that is appointed by Rome, and the Jews have some religious freedom, but there's no king of the Jews in Israel at this time. Who are the wise men? In order for us to understand that, we're going to hop in our time machine from this story, and we're going to travel back in time about 500 years. You're like, well, we're in Matthew. What are you doing going to Daniel? Let's read it in Daniel chapter uh, something, chapter 1. Here we go. As these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Daniel had an understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all them there was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These guys get their names changed to Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. Everybody say ten times better. You know, when you're walking with the anointing of God in your life, in your workplace, in your business, you should be ten times better than everybody else. And they did it by wisdom of God. That's a whole other sermon, man. We might get to that later. Not today. Verse 21 And Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. There's a king named Darius the Great. And Darius um, instituted a court of priesthood. They were Median priests, Medes. And he basically has them, uh, they had a dual capacity. They were priests, so they were religious aficionados. They knew lots about religion and the world's religions and how they wanted to do religion in the kingdom, but they were also uh, in control of all of the politics. And we read in the book of Daniel that Daniel's title was Rag Mag. And what that means is that he became the chief of all of the magistrates. So here's what happens. When a king in, in time, and, and we probably even still do it, we do it as Americans. We, when we, we come in and we try to make a nation like us, right? We come in, we give them troops, we protect them, and then we try to Americanize them. That's what we do with our call. We do the same thing. So they're like, well, that's weird. We're still doing it today. And this time, what they did a little bit differently, they would show in, they would take all the wealthy, all the smart, all the most intelligent people, and good-looking, I'm assuming. So, um, you know, I would probably have been there, right? I mean, and see, I'm still working on it. Jeremy was supposed to get me material this week. And the point is, he would bring them back. They would indoctrinate them. They would teach them their ways, their language, their customs. And they would make them like this conquering nation. And then they would send the brightest and the best and the most influential back to the region and impart their DNA, their way of life into that region, into that kingdom, and then take back taxes and all that. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So Daniel is one of these captives. 
and his three boys, they're one of the captives, and they're high above everything. He's so impressed with them that he makes Daniel the chief of all of them. You're like, well, no big deal. Well, yeah, it was a really big deal. Because in that time, this median priesthood of magistrates, of wise men, is a hereditary monarchy. That means that it was a bloodline in a specific group of people that ended up in that role. And Daniel's given that role. Well, if you grew up in church, right, we know what happened to Daniel. (laughs) That promotion got him an invitation to spend a night with some lions winning. So they could, they were so angry at at a Jew, a non-median, being placed in this position of leader of the magistrates that they tried to find a way to trip him up Daniel's still going to worship the one and true God, and he does, and he gets thrown into a lion's den, and as we know, he survives the lion's pit, and he goes on to continue to lead this nation. It gets weirder, I know. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel receives a prophecy. It's a mathematical equation, and I prayed about demonstrating the mathematical equation, and you guys know how strong I am in math. So I chose not to. If you would like to see it, email, text it to me, and I'll send it out to you to, uh, to probably tomorrow. But he receives a mathematical equation that says once the nation of Israel gets to rebuild, he gives them a time when this date happens, and it's recorded in history. As soon as that date happens, he gives a mathematical equation that says this many days later, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come in reigning as the king. And that day is actually April something, 4th through the 6th of 32 AD. Daniel's given that mathematical prophecy 500 years before Christ. The Bible is the most historically accurate document in all of ancient antiquity. And that's not a preacher's opinion. That's a scientific fact. The Bible hasn't been wrong about a place, a city, or anything. And so if the Bible has been, it's the only holy book that boasts, I will tell you what's going to happen before it does. So if it's right about that, what else is it right about? All right, let's happen our time machines. We're going to travel 500 years into the future. And now we're here with this young couple that we know were betrothed. We know that they were, they birthed a son. They named him Emmanuel. And we know that these dudes show up to come and worship him. This is um, something that causes tension for me. Probably because of the way I process things. But apparently Daniel entrusted this priesthood with a prophecy about when the Savior of Israel, when the Messiah was going to be born, and it all had to do around a star appearing. We don't, it's not recorded in Daniel, but these are the people that show up. It's an ancient priesthood. And that was a secret that only the Magi knew until it was fulfilled. That's where they came from. And let me clarify this. 
It probably was an entire priesthood. They probably rolled in on like, I mean, like with seven or eight escalates. I mean, they rolled deep. They came in and that's why the whole, it says the whole nation goes, whoa, what's going what, what, Who are these people? It wasn't three dudes on camels coming to see the king of all kings. And I think it's important for us to, when we read this story, not to be like, oh yeah, some wise men, they saw a star, they came in and seen Jesus. You need to be able to tell your friends that are struggling with faith, that maybe have questions about whether the word of the God is the Bible, if it's true. You need to be able to tell your friends, hey, you know what? And these, these guys were given a sign. And, and, and God actually pinpointed when he was going to have his son born. And he did it 500 years before. He did it eternity past. We know that. I'm not going to get in that theological debate. But my point is this. When we read the story, and it says this, that they showed up at Jesus' home. So I'm not telling you to go and kick the wise men off of your beautiful nativity scene, right? But what I want you to know is that God in his sovereignty and the way that he chooses to do life, you know who showed up at the birth of his son? The least of these. It was a group of shepherds ragtag, dysfunctional. Their opinion didn't even matter in public circles. They were looked at as less than. I imagine the holy course of angels that are going to sing when the birth of the king and they're going to break out into this holy course and they've been practicing in eternity past to announce the savior of the world. And heaven opens up and they're in front of some shepherds. God, that's how he works. And so we don't know if this is a year or two years later, but some time had passed and Mary and Joseph are in a house and these guys follow a star. So that's who the Magi are. Herod freaks out because there is so much tension in the Middle East. That hasn't changed. And there's so much tension over basically something the size of Connecticut. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. And these um, magi are told in a dream, once again, being obedient to go and leave another way. What Herod realizes is that a king of the Jews rises up. It will cause even more turmoil. And so that's why he acts like he's off his rocker and he decides he's going to kill any Jewish boy that was around the age of two because he asked when the star was there. Guys, you can't read this. Your friends can't read the Christmas story and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You have to search out the scripture. You have to understand the story. So how did this ancient royal median priesthood worship? In verse 10, it says, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy and they fell down and they worshiped him. The Bible uses a word that it doesn't use a lot here. In the Greek, it's proskuneo. And this is what it means. It means to fall down on your face, forehead to the ground, with an expression of profound reverence, making supplication before. In other portions of Scripture where this word is used, it is a reference of the highest devotion that you could give to anyone. That's how they worshiped. And it wasn't three. I can imagine Mary, who's probably has questions. Right? We looked at, we talked about her last week. Oh, yeah, you're that girl. 
She spent her whole life as the girl that had a kid before she was, got pregnant before she was married. We talked about Joseph's obedience last week. He would have never been looked at as just again. Matter of fact, whenever he went to Bethlehem, there's no, his whole family's there and there's nobody in the family that's letting Joseph and his pregnant betrothed wife hang out with him. That's because that's how they thought of Joseph. Quit reading scripture and not allow tension and confusion to be there. It's painful. And Joseph's obedient. He would have never been looked at as just or righteous again. Matter of fact, there's a statement that people make about Jesus. When he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, he reads from Isaiah 62 or 63. He stops at a comma, which is fascinating. And he sits down and he says, today that's been fulfilled in your ears. And they look at him and they say, hey, we know who your parents are. There's a sentence that we, you ignore because like, oh yeah, they knew him because he lived in Nazareth. No, they, he's 30 years old and they're still talking about his parents were them people. So I imagine Mary sitting there. Is this really the son of God? And I see a chorus of ancient Median priest fall prostrate before her, worshiping the king of kings. It would have been intense. It said one verse, one, one verse of when Mary ponders these things in her heart. What did they do as far as treasure? What did they give? It says they offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh. It's really an interesting and fascinating list for two different reasons. One is because it's prophetic fulfillment. Gold speaks of Jesus' kingship, his royalty. Frankincense would have probably been in an oil, like the snake oils all the women at Audacity use. A lot of them do. Yeah, it's all. My kids call it medicine. I'm like, no, it's snake oil. It's not medicine. Um, and, um, sorry, it's totally side note. Um, but it was probably in an oil form. And I don't know if you've ever bought frankincense. Not cheap. Matter of fact, we, I think we, we priced the little itty bitty bottle because we were going to buy the oils of the Bible. And I'm like, hey, uh, this pastor can't afford the oils of the Bible. So, um, is Steve's work? I mean, so, and, um, it's probably in an oil form and it would have been something that the priest would have used in the temple, showing his high priestness. And then myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming ointment. It's used when someone dies. As Jesus is a one to three-year-old baby, his mom is looking on, an entire priesthood shows up, falls down and worships him and says, you are the king of kings, You are the high priest and you are the perfect, spotless lamb of God. Yeah, I know you feel it, right? The Holy Spirit just sweep into here. Here's why it's even more important. Isaiah 60 says in Jesus's millennial reign, when he sits on the throne of Jerusalem, which he has not done and he will do, Isaiah tells us that he has offered gifts. You know what those gifts are? Gold and frankincense, and there's no more myrrh. Because the atonement death of Jesus that happened on the cross of Calvary was sufficient one time for all by a loving God. 
It's a beautiful story of gifts. And we're like, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah, they're probably expensive. No, they're prophetic. It's laying down the life of Jesus, and he's a newborn child. He's probably still learning the word Abba. He might not even be walking yet. And that's who shows up. That's the Christmas story. So how do you steal Christmas back? Right? How do you steal Christmas and allow your family and allow you? It starts with you. I was telling our leadership team, uh, for those of you who hang around me a lot, no, I am not an affirmer. It's not, I, I, listen, uh, I'm not, if you have been encouraged and affirmed by me, it, it, like, it takes a lot of work and energy. I am the guy that says, hey, I'm going to do no, more than I'm supposed to. I've always been that way. I'm going to work harder than I have to. I've always been that way. And I'll never forget like when people in my, uh, at my job and like they did what they were supposed to do. I'm like, hey, well, yeah, that's your job. Let me tell you, great, you, you just, you did what you're supposed to do. Like, and I don't know if you guys, like, everybody's going to leave the church this week. And, uh, but like, I'll appreciate you serving in kids. I appreciate you serving on the worship team. I appreciate you greeting people at the door. I really do. I could not do this without you. I love you and I'm thankful for you. You're supposed to do that. So I'm getting better. And this is what I told our leadership team. I'm not going to become some great affirmer here before I'm a great affirmer at home. That's where it starts. So this is how where it's going to It's got to start with you. The stealing Christmas has to be you. Becoming an infirmer and an encourager as a gift. I have to, and I, I tell my wife that she's beautiful and I'm proud of her and I love her. But like I have to put calendar reminders in my phone. I'm being honest. You got a thank you card for me? It was, it was because like there, it, there's a list of things that I have to do, I'm supposed to do. I'm not wired that way. So in order for your family to steal Christmas back, it's got to start with you. You can't fake it here. Oh, yeah, it's Christmas. Jesus. So how does it start with you? There's three things. I want you to know today that you're a magi. This is what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2. You, you are chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation a people for his speaking of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a person or people, were not a part of the body of Christ, but now you are. You're God's people. Once you'd not received mercy because of the blood of Christ, now you have received mercy. This is the first thing. You are called as a magi. You, my friends, are a part of a more royal priesthood. You are called to a life of surrender and study and service. That's who you're called to be. You're called to be the priest of your home. Men, you're called to serve your family. You're called to institute the idea of, hey, listen, creating your own DNA There's a lot of times that we say stuff in our home, hey, bakers, we're forgiving. 
No, I know, you don't want to forgive. And right, they probably deserve for you to be mad at them. But bakers were forgiving. That's just who we are. And Ashley made us that way. It wasn't me. And then I always tell my kids, hey, you know what? Bakers, we work hard. Matter of fact, no one will outwork a baker. Guys, there's these goofy little things that maybe my children will grow up and need therapy for. Who knows? But you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are called to a life of study. To know the word of God. I'm talking, I'm taking Maya last night. She had like a birthday party and a babysitting gig. And I'm like, can't wait till you turn 16. And uh, just so she can go to Brahms for me, really. I need an ice cream. And, um, but I don't want to put on pants. I'm in my PJs, you know. And so I can't wait. But the point is, this is more important. I, I think about her and some of the questions she has. And how she's studying the Bible. And she's talking about this season that she went through. And how she realized that she wants to know more of God's word in her heart. I said, Maya, it's for your study. For when you find yourself in a situation that you have to make a decision filled with wisdom, the Bible says that all you have to do is ask for it. And it's available to you. You need to be studying out scripture. And you need to be serving. Not serving halfway. Anytime you serve the body of Christ halfway or disrespectfully, it's not on me. That's how you are treating the king of the universe. I should send a chill down your spine of accountability. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You, my friends, are the magi. I need you to live that way. Live that out, a life of surrendered study, a life of service to not only your family, not only your church, but your community. How do we steal Christmas back? We worship him passionately. Deuteronomy says this in chapter 12, and Moses is basically in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a part of the Torah or the law. I've told you guys, the word law is the most grossly translated word, I think, for me in all of the Old Testament. Because the word law actually means teachings from the Lord. It means God's words. It's not, oh man, if I do this, I'm going to get arrested. It should be a beautiful and attractive phrase. And we've looked at it as something different. But in the law or the Torah, as the the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is really a couple of recorded sermons of Moses as he recaps where the children of Israel have come from and who that they are. And he tells them this in the chapter 12. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out for all your tribes to put his name and make his inhabitants there. There you shall go. There you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present, your vow offering, your free will offering, and the firstborn of your herd, of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all the that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you with. 
Let me explain what this means. In, in this time, there is one place for the children of Israel to go to worship. There is one place that they would go to offer sacrifices and praises to God. Guess what? When Jesus came and he resurrects from the dead, hey, we now have access to the Father that the Bible says that you, my friend, are now the temple of God. Everywhere you go, it's worship. Every deed you do is worship. Everything you say is worship. Deuteronomy tells us there is a place, but now Jesus says that we are a people. And we take the temple everywhere we go. How'd you worship this week? Let me tell you how I worshiped. I worshiped on one day with doubt, fear, and insecurity. Woo! Winning. I have the temple. I'm the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. And I can walk around with anxiety. Are you kidding me? That's not worship. It's worshiping something else, right? Instead of keeping my eyes on the Savior, I'm worshiping a result or a tangible thing. How did you worship? How did you worship with your acts and your deeds? How did you worship at work? Did you talk smack about your boss behind his back around the water cooler? setting a dreadful example for people who call you a Christian? How did you worship? If your life is worship, if it's a surrendered thing, if it's, if it's all that you are, your entire being, and everything is worship, how did you worship? And then let me ask you this. How are you worshiping? Like when we do these songs, do you, do you realize that the Bible teaches that basically heaven kind of opens up a little bit and our praise of adoration is like an offering a fragrant incense that climbs into the throne room of God. And in that moment of us worshiping, we are standing in the presence of the God of the universe, the creator of all things. And in that moment together corporately, we are singing to him. And if you can do that with your hands in your pockets and sitting in a seat, I don't know how. I don't know that you need to fall prostrate before God while you're singing. I don't know what position that you should be, but I want you to know that your life is as much of a worship um, experience or outpouring as we do in that moment when we sing and worship together. Man, that is stinky. How did you worship this week? How'd you worship today? Oh, yeah. Woo, Emmanuel, come. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Or is it rejoice? Oh, come, Emmanuel. How are we worshiping? You're like, Ronnie, I wanted to steal Christmas back. I want to feel good about myself. I just want you to be better. I want to be better. Number three, what is our gift? And these gifts that they present before Jesus, not only are prophetic, but they cost. There was a great cost to them. Side note, God is always sovereign and always in control and always making a way. Let me just explain this to you. A couple verses later, Joseph hears that Herod's about to do something dreadful. So he packs up and he goes to Egypt. Just let me put this in perspective. That would have been a very expensive trip. 
Joseph is going to Egypt and doesn't know how long he's going to have to live there. And there's a part of me that believed that God provided for the trip for Joseph, Jesus, and Mary before the persecution came. I believe that God in his sovereignty knows he's about to send Joseph out. And so he provides the resources that they were going to need while they established themselves in Egypt. Because the word of God says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. He's in control. Every footstep that you take, the Bible says that that we plan, but he orders our steps. He's in complete control. And this is what I want to challenge you. In Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you. I appeal to you. I beg you to live your lives by the mercies of God, to present your life, your being, all that you are as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which should be my response to him. When I am in the right relationship in prayer and study, when I am in the right relationship of love, service, and surrender, All I have to do is focus my eyes on the cross of Jesus and not worry about all the white noise. And I know that that's hard, church. I'm not telling you that laying down your life is easy. What did we learn last week? That sometimes obedience will cost us something we're not really willing to give up. Like, I don't know that I want to do that. And that's going to be a little painful. Living lives of sacrifice, it's our greatest gift to him. When you say, God, I'll do anything. I'll walk through anything. Because I know you're with me. I'll sacrifice that because it's not a whole lot to give up in comparison to what you have done for me. We love and we serve not out of duty. Guys, I don't want us to become religious and pharisaical where we're like, well, you know what? At least I ain't like him. You are more valuable to him than gold, frankincense, or myrrh. You know, for thousands of years, he's been anticipating your arrival with great expectation because he could not wait to be in relationship with you. The creator of the universe. No, seriously. He said, I can't wait until he gets here. I can't wait till she gets here. And let me tell you this. He has bestowed gifts back upon you. Specifically, so that you could be a royal priesthood. So you could do, you could be him on earth. He has a specific plan for your life that when you're fully surrendered to him, it's exactly what he wants you to accomplish. And the only way you can do that is by laying yourself down, saying, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Just go with me. When we see Jesus as the real reason for Christmas and we steal Christmas back, we see him as the treasure. When we see Jesus as the reason for the season, we see him as we want to steal Christmas back. We realize that we are the treasure back to him. 
When you see Jesus as the greatest gift giver of all, I think you'll willingly lay back down the gift of your life to him. We're about to close out a new year, right? Or close out this year and start a new year. What gifts are you giving him in 2016? What do you really want to lay down at his feet this year and say, hey, all of me is for all of you. Do what you will. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.